Greetings, folks. It's Dave Hamilton. I am here freshly back from Macworld Expo in San Francisco, and I wanted to tell you a little bit about what it is you're about to hear. While at Macworld Expo on Saturday, the 29th, we recorded a live Mac Geek Gab from the show floor at the Macworld Live stage. Uh, the folks at Macworld.com, as well as the uh, folks at Macworld Expo, were all instrumental in putting this together for us, and I'd like to thank them. What you're going to hear is the audio from that, and that's here. However, video was also recorded, and we have that video in uh, full HD quality. You can see it up on the site. Uh, if you go to MacGeekGab.com and simply look at the show notes for episode 312, that's what you'll find there. So you can hear this here, see it there, or see it in both places. Given the timing of this and that we just got all these files because it took a lot of work from a lot of different people to put it all together, uh, we are not going to delay it any further by then converting it to AAC. So this one will not be an enhanced AAC, as many of you have probably already figured out. Without further ado, here we go. The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 312 for Saturday... January 29th, yes. 2011. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab. I am Dave Hamilton, uh, and next to me is... Here in San Francisco, California, John F. Braun. That's right. So uh, for those of you who don't know, and of course for all of you at home, we are the show where, for the most part, you, we answer your questions, we share your tips, uh, we share our tips, and uh, try to help you make your Mac experience a little bit better. For this show today, we're going to be doing a couple of things. We will be doing uh, a special edition of what we call Cool Stuff Found. Uh, for this, it will be stuff that we found on the expo floor, and, uh, and so we'll talk through some of that. But we also want to do Stump the Geek. Now, you have to understand, I've been in town since Monday. John's been traveling since Tuesday, spent Tuesday night in Philadelphia Airport. Uh, <laughs> it's a nice then, airport. And then is here. So... Uh, this show will go as long as either they let us or as long as you have stuff. And after that, we'll just cut it. So uh, hopefully you have a lot of questions. We have, of course, plenty of things to mention. But, yes, please, uh, please try to stump us as geeks because uh, that's what we do. So normally, right, normally the questions are prepped, John, right? We get them far in advance. And, uh, and we get to research and all of that. We have computers at our disposal here. Uh -huh. We are totally, it's whatever's up here and whatever we can pull out of here, uh, and we're good to go. <laughs> right? Our guts, John. I said our guts. That's what How I'm about saying. our hearts? Oh, we can, we can answer from our hearts. That's right. We'll try if we so don't So do you have anything answer. to tell them, or do you want to dump, jump right into your uh, cool stuff found? Um, no, I, I want to jump right in. Go. All right. First device here, and I wrote an article about this, and we also got this. And this is one of the folks that I found in the independent area here, which uh, some of the areas that I like are the independent area, which I think was over there. Yes. So Indie Mac Software Spotlight. That's one of the first places I always head because, you know, a lot of the big guys here, you know what they're doing already, but these guys are people that you've never heard of. And the, the first one, uh, it's from Studio Neat, and it's called The Glyph. And what this is, is this is a small, and, and some people are already nodding, and, and it, it resonated with a lot of people. This is two guys, Studio Neat, 
And what it is, it's an iPhone 4, both tripod mount and stand. And actually, Dave has one here. And it's not so much the device here, though it is a pretty neat device because it, it lets you do a number of different things, a stand and a tripod mount. A lot of people may like that. But what really got me, and I don't remember the specifics of all the people that helped out. You can see it in the article on MacObserver.com, of course. But this, these were two guys that basically in five months went from concept to production. And they did it, one, through a VC company that will allow, I guess, micropayments or small payments for VC. Uh, so they did that. Is it Kickstarter? Kickstart, yeah. Okay. So it's Kickstart, yep. which, and this is what they do. They take small amounts of money from a lot of people, and they help people with venture. They found another company that helped them do 3D modeling. They came up with the packaging, as you see, very nice, you know, minimal, but functional packaging that shows you how to use it. And then they were also using a device. And what would shock me is on the show floor, they were selling it. So it's normally $20 if you buy it online. They were selling it, I believe, for $17 or $18 on the show floor. But it amazed me is that he was selling it immediately within 30 seconds. And there's another device you may have seen called Square. And it was a little square where the guy swiped the credit card, accepted the payment, said, would you like a receipt? And he accomplished it in 30 seconds. And I think something like this, without the technology is available today, would not be possible. Again, two guys with minimal resources were able to get VC, were able to prototype it. I think most of the work was done in this country. And they started a business. So I, I think it was not so it, equally the device, but also how two guys can, can go from concept to being on the Macworld show floor. I thought it was great. So I want to I talk about it a little bit because I saw this. This was um, when you're a speaker here, they give you a, a bag full of a bunch of the goodies from the show floor, which is really cool. And of course, I look through it quick in the hotel room and then spend a whole lot more time once I get back home. But I saw this and I thought, oh, that's cool. It's, I mean, it's a tripod mount. I don't like things where I have to take the case off of my iPhone, but you know, there's it, it's hard to design something for every single case on the market, so you, you know you cut them some slack for that. But I thought, well, you know, limited, cool, but limited use case. But it's not. Uh, and and if you'll uh, if, if you'll uh, maybe hold the mic for me. So like this, it's a it's tripod mode, but but, but wait, there's wait. less. Uh, so you know, I can now do this, and I can I can now do this. And, uh, well, you know, that's, uh, that's all right. Uh, thankfully, it's a carpeted stage. But now, it, you know, you clip the thing on the top of the iPhone, and it now sits. You can sit on the airplane and watch a little movie. Uh, you, can, you, can, you can put it in uh, FaceTime mode, that they called it. And uh, I'm not smart enough to figure out exactly how they did that. But I think maybe I can. I think it's like that or something, you know. And, uh, and you got FaceTime mode. If I can figure that out. I'm not smart enough, but that's okay. Um, so it's, it's one of these things that you can do a lot of different stuff with. And it's uh, Glyph, G-L-I-F. And uh, is that Glyph.com, John? It couldn't possibly be. That uh, domain's or the been taken. Glyph.com. What is it? It's theglyph.com. Okay, cool. See, that's why I don't like taking my iPhone out of the case because then I'm fumbling and, uh, you know. This is, I got to say, this is weird doing a podcast from a comfy couch. Mm-hmm. Usually I'm either standing or... Uh, or at least sitting kind of up. I'm, I'm a high-energy guy. I can't, uh, I can't figure this out. All right, so... Your turn. I guess the first... Yeah, my turn? Okay, the first thing on my list would be, uh, for those of you that are listeners, on our last Cool Stuff Found show, we talked about an app called Prismo for the iPhone, which is really cool. Uh, a brief, brief recap is that it, it's a scanner for your iPhone, but you take a picture from the iPhone with the camera... Uh, and then it, you can turn it. You can have it scan business cards, and it's smart enough to like pull that into address book. You can have it scan text, and it'll go through, and it's doing it all on the iPhone, which is pretty darn cool. 
Uh, they now uh, have Prismo for the Mac. It's ten bucks. And oh no, Prismo for the Mac. Is it ten bucks? No, forty nine ninety five. I have forty nine ninety five here. Is that right? Does anybody know? I thought in my head it was ten, and now I'm seeing forty nine ninety five. I think I think I think that's right. I'm I'm confusing it with something else. I'm confusing it with something I have later on the list. So it's forty nine ninety five, but it's it's much different. But it's really cool OCR software. Uh, you know, most OCR software you've got to take a paper and feed it into your scanner and pull it into the Mac. And while you're scanning, you know, you've got to adjust the brightness and the contrast. And listen. It's cool, and there's times when there's nothing else that's going to suffice other than retyping the entire document. So it's cool. But, oh, by, and by OCR, of course, I mean optical character recognition. And in non-geek speak, that is taking text on a page that you have scanned and turning it into text that you can then edit with your computer. So what these guys have done is they've taken the tech that they've done with photos here, and they make it work on your Mac. So you can do this cool stuff where you're like a spy, you know, and you go around and you take a picture of a document real quick, and then you fold the folder and leave the office before the guy comes back. I don't know why you'd want to do that, but it's cool to think about being a spy, and it's cool to have the tools that actually, you know, might make you feel like that. I'm not a spy. John is, but he's not allowed to tell you that. <laughs> uh, but then, then, you know, you can scan it on your Mac. But it's, it's, and, and it, and it works, but it's even cooler than that because they let you see how the sausage is made, and it actually helps you get better scans. So for those of you that have used OCR here before, how many of you have done it, and then you scan through the page, and you realize it got, like, all but the upper right corner of the page, right? And so now you've got some text that's pretty useless because half of every of the first four sentences is this garbled nonsense, and you've got to go back and figure it out. Well, the reason for that is because this, the, the software didn't have a good image of that part of the page, right? Pretty obvious. Well, what this lets you do is it shows you what it's going to look at when you pull, when you, uh, when it's ready to scan. You, know, you pull the picture in first, you define the area of the picture, and it can have stuff on it. You can have the rest of the desk and maybe, you know, like the guy's gun or your gun that you put down because you're a spy, right? You know, so, uh, but and you can, you know, crop that out and then uh, straighten it. But then it shows you, it, it kind of turns it into a black and white view, and, and you get to see what it's going to see. And sometimes the upper right corner is just gibberish. And so you can adjust this little slider, essentially a contrast slider. It's probably doing more than that. But you adjust this little contrast slider, and then you, you get to decide, okay, yeah, there it is. I pulled the contrast up enough here, but it's not too much on the rest of it, and you're good to go. Uh, they also, you know, sometimes if you're reading a magazine, right, you get a page that's, uh, you know, it's curved a little bit, right? You know, if the page is like this, if you're trying to scan a magazine, you've taken a picture of this. So it's, you know, really bad angles and all that. And, and it's hard to get text that's curved to, to scan right. So what you do is you pull in the picture and then you tell it, look, there's curvature. And you define what that curve is with a really intuitive tool. And then it, once you're ready, it, it takes that and it flattens it out. It knows if the page is curved like this here at the top and this at the bottom, and they can be different because it's, that's life, uh, then it works great. And so it's, uh, yeah, it's $49.95. It's available over at the booth over there, but it's Prismo from, uh, it's Prismo for Mac. You're just going to have to Google it because I don't have a computer in front of me, and I wasn't smart enough to prep it. So, so that's me. Okay. And now on. Wait, 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 hang on, hang on. This is Stump the Geek as well. So you guys are going to 
do this in the middle here. Does anybody have a question right now? If you don't, start thinking. But, okay, gentlemen, this gentleman right over here, this anonymous gentleman. Here comes a mic. Uh, so Vanna White, uh, she, 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 he's uh, okay. coming over. <clears throat> okay, here's what's going on. I've got a Airport Extreme with two hard drives attached. One MacBook Pro backs up Time Machine perfectly to it. The other, back, the other MacBook Pro, whenever it starts the backup, it slows the computer down to the point that it's unusable, and we end up having to reboot the machine before we can do anything else. I have not been able to get Time Machine to work at all on the second machine. They're both configured exactly the same way. So you think. So we think, yes. <laughs> if they were exactly the same, sir, they'd work the same way. <laughs> True. <laughs> so there's your problem. Oh, you want an answer? Yes. Oh, well, that's interesting. Do you have an idea? I have an idea, but I always have ideas. No, wait. Did I hear the, the first part correctly? You have an Airport Extreme with hard drives attached to it that you're using for the time machine? Correct. The hard drive is plugged into the USB port, and this is effectively supported, a supported configuration. Okay. So one machine backs up to them okay, and the other machine does not. All right. Uh, uh, I'll let you take it. Well, the, the one thing I could suggest is booting either one or the other. Or the, the problematic machine, have you tried booting it into... Uh, have you tried creating a new user and booting into that and seeing if it works? And same thing. The answer is yes. Right? Okay. You have tried that, and, and no, it doesn't help. Okay, well, that kind of makes sense, because Time Machine isn't a user-specific thing, right? It's a system-wide sort of thing. So, But well, always, always helps. No, it helps. Yeah, absolutely, man. All right, so... My thought, have you looked in your console logs for what's happening, right? Because Time Machine reports, it reports as a, uh, an operation called Backup D. So if you launch the console, you look at all messages, and you just, you can even then the little search thing, just like you have in the Finder in the upper, well, for all of you, it's the upper right over here if I'm your Finder window. It'd be scary, wouldn't it? Having your Finder windows look like this. Um, so... You search for that, and it'll filter everything. So all you're seeing is the backup D messages, and you're not cluttered by everything else. So that I would do that uh, and see if it reports anything. My guess is that it's going to report that it found a problem with your backup uh, destination, if you will. It's going to create, you know, creates a little sparse bundle or disk image, if you will. Uh, I would uh, I would assume that that's that's now corrupt for in some way, shape, or form. If you're willing to lose the data that you had previously backed up, uh, go out onto the air disk and just delete that sparse bundle. Or if, if you want to hedge your bets, rename it to something else. But you're probably better off deleting it because Time Machine's pretty smart. And it might figure out that, oh, no, I'm going to try this again. And, then, and you've done that and it still hasn't helped? Hang on. Hang on yeah, yeah, hang on. We, we, we'll get... See, Hang on, hang on. So the problem is when you folks dial, uh, call in from home, we get your questions, but you only have one chance to talk. And so our answer is, by definition, correct, because you can't refute it. <laughs> right? So this makes us look a whole lot smarter than we might be. <laughs> I, I did go into the console, and it kept saying that it kept having to do a deep traversal. Yep. So I deleted the config file out of the time machine, reset up time machine, deleted the sparse bundle off the air disk, and had it start from the beginning. Yes, and it would do the first backup, and then the very next backup, it would start doing it again. The deep wow, transversal message? Wow, your computer's horked, man. Message. Yeah. Well, I don't know if that's necessary. Uh, I mean, no, I've I seen don't. that too, Dave. I, I've gone yeah. through the time machine. Yeah, but it usually Some, succeeds. Uh, mm. Okay, it shouldn't right. be happening. It shouldn't be doing a deep transversal every time. Every time. At least I, right. I rarely see that. 
So have you run like Disk Utility or Disk Warrior on your Mac to make sure there's not some problem there that, uh, I mean, clearly, it, you know, it's, okay, we've ruled out Time Machine. Okay, so try Disk Warrior. The other thing I'd try, and then we'll, we got to move on, because we won't get the, even if we've suggested the right answer, uh, which I know we have, uh, there's no way to prove it, because, sir, you didn't bring your computer with you, you see. No, um, <laughs> so... What I'd also try is if you have a spare FireWire or USB drive, try backing up to that just to make sure that it's not, maybe, you know, maybe it's the Wi-Fi connection or whatever between your Airport Extreme and that MacBook, right, versus the other one, and there's some problem, and it, you know, you're getting cutouts in the connection, and that's what's causing the, the, the regular corruption of this thing. So try it, you know, either hardwired into the Airport Extreme, which, have you tried that? The first backup you do and the second one you don't. Well, I think we found our answer, folks. That's right. Let's get a round of applause for uh, this gentleman over here. Okay. Okay, yeah, cool. But try, yeah, try it that way or try it to a, uh, somewhere, something you plug into. Okay, go. All right, next. Another thing I found over in the Indie Pavilion, and this is something I think is brilliant, just never thought of it before, and uh, these folks did, Dolly Drive. So Time Machine, uh, everybody here uses Time Machine that uses a Mac, right? I, I could ask who does not use Time Machine, but if yeah, you're let's, not... Let's do that. Well, no, go ahead and do your... Do your th- I was going to take us on a tangent now, but... So anyways, ahead. we said this before. We'll say it again very quickly here. Is you, at the very least, use Time Machine. And I would use more than just Time Machine, but at the very least, use Time Machine. There's no downside to it unless it doesn't ever finish. But other than that, but, but one of the problems, I think, and one of the limitations with Time Machine, and in order to make it usable by everybody, they, I think, take away some options. And right now, the only way you can really use it is either with a physically connected drive or with a drive, either a time capsule or a drive connected to an airport extreme. And those are your options for Time Machine. Uh, at least Apple supported. But what these folks came up with is something called Dolly Drive. I'll tell you why it's called Dolly at the end here. But what it is, is something, the nice thing about it is it's not a hack. Now, there are a lot of ways to hack Time Machine, and we've told you about some of them. Uh, I don't know if I'd recommend all of them. But what they do is provide something, what they call in the cloud or out in the Internet somewhere, because the Internet is a cloud, at least when you see the diagrams. What they have done is come up with an Apple-approved way, or at least they tell me that they follow the Apple, Apple APIs, Application Programming Interface. And so they offer a service that is not where you are that will let you do a time machine backup. The other thing that they offer, which is different from time machine, is that they allow you to sec- select individual items. Right now, Time Machine, for the most part, well, the way Time Machine is set up is that it does everything, and then you can exclude things. These guys take the other approach, as they, is from what I saw in the program. You explicitly indicate, I want to buy, back up this folder, that folder, that document, and I think that's a, a, it would be a nice option, but Apple doesn't offer it. Apple just, again, right. allows you to exclude things from your Time Machine backup. Uh, so what they do offer is they offer, uh, so it's on a monthly basis, and they're uh, quick startup plan is 256 gigabytes. I think it's uh, 250. Or two, yeah, 250 or 256 gigabytes for uh, $10 a month. And then what happens is that they give you bonus space because the assumption is that every month your backup is going to start growing just like it does on the, on the time machine. But I think this is a great option. They're going to be offering uh, some other things. I think they said it in, the, in the next version they're going to be offering scheduling as well. So I guess the default is going to be the behavior you have right now, I guess the hourly backup. Right. Yeah, so um, it, this is a cool thing because it really is just, I mean, it, you know, their, their, their slogan, Time Machine in the Cloud, that's, it's right. What, it, what they also offer, you know, we, we talk a lot about backups on the show, 
And one of the things is we say don't just have one backup. You, you need, you know, yeah, Time Machine in the cloud is great, but what happens if your drive dies? You know, Time Machine's great for going and getting individual files back or if you've got time to migrate from one to the other. But if your drive dies, you need something else to boot from. So we always recommend cloning your hard drive uh, and making sure that, uh, you know, you've got a bootable backup ready to go. And they have an option in their software to clone your hard drive. So we've talked about other solutions, SuperDuper and Carbon Copy Cloner John uses. And, uh, but this now does it. And again, in, in, in the next version, it'll allow you to schedule that too. So you can have one-stop shop, which I joked with the guys. I said, this is great. You guys will give me everything. So now I have one single point of failure again. But, but no, it's, um, it's, it's good, it looks, looks to be good stuff. I haven't tried it yet, but yeah. Okay. Okay. Um. All right, so this next one is interesting. Uh, it's a piece of software called MacKeeper. We talk about a lot of uh, utilities, and, and one that we keep coming back to on a fairly regular basis is Onyx to do a lot of the maintenance on your Mac. And there's nothing wrong with, with Onyx. In fact, I think it's great. It's free. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of other stuff out there, and we hear about it a lot. MacKeeper I heard about uh, initially because of a completely different business relationship and, and there were some other things that kind of went on, and, and I, I, it jaded me a little bit um, to, it, to the point where I never bothered to even check out the software. Well, recently that has changed, and I checked out the software. MacKeeper is really cool stuff. Uh, it does your, your system maintenance, the things, that, the things that we always talk about you needing, the, um, uh, you know, your... your um, permissions and, and all of that stuff. And I'm going to try and pull up another thing, but I don't know if I'm smart enough to be able to do this all at once. So here we go. Um, it, you know, cleaning up things. But it goes beyond that. It'll, um, it'll allow you to pull your... Uh, if you've got universal binaries and you, you only run Intel Max, you can slim down those universal binaries. It's got a trimmer in it. Uh, it's got a, a language remover so that you can pull out all the extra language stuff. You can tell it which languages you want to keep in the preferences, and then it pulls them out. But it does some other stuff that other people don't really do, and to have this all in one little package is really nice. Uh, they have an undelete function for things that you've actually emptied from the trash, and they're, it's pretty cool how they're tracking it. They're, they're, they're doing some cool stuff behind the scenes to make it work. Uh, and, and, you know, I mean, if the files, if the space where the file w was has been overwritten, you're not going to be able to undelete it. But that's not always the case, and, and sometimes you can pull stuff out. They do have a shredder, which will make sure the file can't be undeleted. So, you know, you can use the software to combat itself. If you want to throw something out and make sure it's gone, you can do that. Um, they, they let you edit your login items, uh, not just the stuff in, in System Profiler, but also some of the stuff that's, that's stored in other ways. So it, it might replace something like Lingon a little bit, right, or, uh, or that. They have, um, they've got an antivirus in there, but I don't really care about that. Uh, it'll scan for Windows viruses if you, if you care about that. They have an anti-theft thing where uh, if your computer's stolen, you report it, and now the next time your computer launches, it takes a picture of it and emails that to you. And there's other people doing that. But that's, you know, the, 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 the trick there is you've got to be checking your email pretty obsessively, which you might be if your computer's stolen. But if your computer's stolen, you might not be able to check your email. So uh, not only do you have a picture of it, but as soon as they get that, they, and they've got 24-7 support, 
they call you and tell you, here's where your computer is, at least by IP address and all that. Uh, because they have 24-7 support, they can do a couple of other things. And in MacKeeper, they have what they call a geek on demand, which is a geek on demand. They come in, you got to give them permission, but you click a button and you say request a geek, and they will come in and help you fix whatever problem they can do, remote control of your computer over the web. Of course, you, you know, if your problem is I can't get on the internet, well, then, you know, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> then you got to call geek local. Um, but uh, it, it's pretty cool. And there's some other stuff. It's got a little backup thing in it. Uh, and a, and a duplicates finder, which is cool. So, you know, it's doing, and I think it, I'm looking here for it because I think it also had large file finder too, so, which, which I might be making up because it's been a long week. But if not, maybe they'll put it in. But they're, they're right over here. They, listen, these guys aren't great marketers, uh, and, and that was sort of what turned me off of them. But now that I, I've learned more and more about the app, I think it's a good thing. It's $39, bucks, uh, but you can use the coupon code Mac coupon code MACWORLD50 for 5-0% off and get it for half price. So, that's it. Excellent. Okay. Uh, any, uh, we got another Stump the Geek question? Anybody brave enough? It's, it's, you don't really have to be that brave. Uh, oh, 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 oh. All right. We'll take, we'll take uh, you're going to be next because this guy had his hand up before you, Rod. So. Just a quick one on mail receipts. Any app that you know of that will do mail receipts that they know that I know that they've read my email. Ooh, that's a good question. So mail receipts. So you mean uh, to confirm that someone has received your email? There is something that I think has been defined in the header where someone can request. I don't think mail app supports it now. Eudora used to, and I used to remember seeing that button, notify sender that you've read it. And more often than not, people wouldn't even click that. You know, I'm trying to remember. The folks over here, there is a, a group over here that makes email software. Um, it, it, it'll come to me, or it may not. But they're over in the indie booth here. But I think the only way that you can do that, what they use is something called a web bug. It's an embedded image that's in an email. And I actually was looking at their software. Uh, there is actually something on MacObserver.com about the software if you check it out. But they have a package. And actually, yeah, if, if you you got your phone there and you can check the site, you can tell me what I just wrote about. Um, but, but that's one way, because they actually looked at the list of the PR emails that they had sent out, and they said, oh, yeah, you, you read our email that we sent to you about our product. So, so there's a technology, but it's, it's, not, it, it's more kind of a sneaky thing, an embedded image within H, uh, an email that has HTML than a, a standard header. And the thing is, it, you re, there, there are ways to block against it. I, uh, some people may feel you know, it's kind of an invasion of privacy and all that, but these guys can do that. So technology is available. But unfortunately, I think the, the standard header that would ask the user to explicitly acknowledge it uh, is not available and not the way to go. Yeah, the, the, the header is still there. And you, I think you can still do it if you have a copy of Eudora laying around. But the thing is, the person on the other end needs to have a mail client that's going to honor that header and, and send you a note back. And mail.app does not do that. So if they're Mac users, you're doomed. If they're Windows users, Outlook does actually, I believe, still support it. But again, it's a it's it's a it's something configurable on their side. So if you sent me an email and I had a client that supported it, it would ask me, "Hey, this dude wants to know if you got his email. Do you want to send him a reply or no?" And I can I can say no, and then you think I've never. It's it's an imperfect science because it relies on so many different factors. You have no idea what what has happened. But like John said, the tracking, the little tracking bug, that's about as reliable as it's going to get. 
So, all right, we'll take another question. I, I don't think I'm going to stump you guys here, but uh, I have a wonderful Drobo FS. Love yeah. it. Fantastic. And the whole idea is to be able to share my databases in, in a household. However, iPhoto, from what I'm learning, if it's over 25 gigs, you can't, I can't open mine on the Drobo. I can't have that library on there and open it using iPhoto. And I've copied it to other drives, and I have no problem opening it up, but it just won't open up on Drobo, which is really strange. And, and I've read about this, and I've heard that it's, it's, it's common over 25 gigs. 25 gigs? 25 gigs. But I, I want to know if you know what's going on and then if there's a potential solution. That's bizarre. I've, I, I haven't heard of this before. Uh, it, is it, in the searches that you've done, is it specific to Drobo or is it any sort of network storage device? Any, any sort of network storage device. So what it probably is, is it, my guess is it's not a hard and fast limit inside iPhoto, but that it's, it, it, whatever iPhoto is doing is it's parsing through more of the library than, uh, although if you're, over, if you're over gigabit Ethernet, that's going to be faster than FireWire and certainly faster than the drive would go. Why would it matter? That's really bizarre. I don't, I don't, I've never heard of it. I don't have an answer you, for uh, it. I was trying to find the name of the thing, and, and I didn't write it down. But um, Okay. Could you, uh, so iPhoto Library, I heard that part. I heard 25 gigs. Could, could I get the, the, the rest? Oh, yeah. So it's that it, anything, any iPhoto library stored on a NAS drive larger than 25 gigs, you cannot open from, you can't open, uh, yeah. It just hangs. So that, that's Ooh. probably the answer right there is it's, it's trying to scour through that library in a huh. way that's very inefficient to do over AFP, which is the protocol that you're connecting via NAS. That's which unusual. is odd because they're both Apple technologies. <laughs> one, of course, is much older than the other, but, you know. Now, a couple of things I could suggest. One is uh, we've talked about this iPhoto Library Manager. You may want to split it up. Though the, the one that I just went from, so I actually, uh, some of you listen, but I recently upgraded from iPhoto to Aperture because iPhoto, I, I, I think 20 gigs may be manageable. I went from an 80 gig because I had about 10 year, over 10 years worth of photos. Uh, the performance in Aperture, which now you can get from the App Store for 80 bucks, I mean, why not? And I'm having so much fun with Aperture. There's, there's so many. I mean, it's going to take me a while to learn all the, the nuts and bolts. But you may want to consider upgrading to Aperture because uh, I think it's, it's meant to handle the larger libraries. Uh, I, don't, I don't know, yeah, if it's an application issue or a network issue. Uh, but if it's an application issue, give Aperture a try. There's even a 30-day trial. Uh, I don't have the URL off the top of my head, but try to get the Aperture one. Migrate it over and, and see if that will help. Or, again, iPhoto Library Manager. Split yeah. it up. Uh, yeah, that that would be the answer. You know, I I I have a bunch of iPhoto libraries on my Drobo, but I my, I guess none of them are larger than twenty five gigs because otherwise I'd have had the same problem. But yeah, I chop them up. You know, I get I get nervous that, that you know. I mean, yeah, you can dig through the library if you have a problem, and but I just get nervous with iPhoto libraries too big. So, but it's easy to make them big now, especially with you know, you get what a five megapixel camera in your pocket and a ten around your neck. It's you know jacks them up so all right you got uh you got something else on cool stuff found for us here john yeah there's an easy one and it was kind of fun so uh, motion motion portrait is the company they were in the mobile app showcase uh zombie booth and it's real simple uh the young lady there took a picture of me with uh i think it was an ipod touch that has the camera and then ran zombie mode and I'm an ugly zombie, though I don't think there are any pretty zombies. But you could even, you know, change it. And, you know, at one point, you know, I had flesh. You got to see it. But uh, I looked. It's in the App Store. It's 99 cents. I don't see how you could go wrong. But I I just thought it was 
It was kind of funny. Oh, that was much quicker than... Uh, all right. Well, I can uh, do another one. <laughs> let's see. What do I have next on my list here? So I don't have one of these here. Uh, has everybody seen the Zagmate? Everybody seen... Okay. So the Zagmate, it, it's one of these no-brainer kind of things. It's a, it's a case, a shell, if you will, uh, and keyboard, Bluetooth keyboard for your iPad. And... In one form, it sits over the iPad to protect the screen, and then you pull it off, and you can rest the iPad inside it, and it's a Bluetooth keyboard, really, really light, less than a pound, significantly less. I think it's like three-quarters of a pound. Uh, the form factor's good. It's a keyboard that's as, as wide as the iPad is wide, so it's, it's about, a you know, what, maybe 80% the size of a normal keyboard, 99 bucks. Uh, the battery lasts about two weeks with heavy usage, so you know you can charge it via USB, I believe, and uh, it's good stuff. And it's it's over here, but you can get them online at, at I think Zag.com. So that's uh, that's the next one on my list. I, I have a very strange question. Does anyone have either a laser torch, Mr. Welch? You have a laser torch? Left it at home. TSA wouldn't let you bring. It. Oh, your wife wouldn't let you bring it. The wife overrules the TSA. Oh, she doesn't let you own one. That's a wise, she's a wise woman. Uh, does anybody, okay, so barring a laser torch, does anyone have a pair of scissors with them? Okay, all right, cool. So go ahead, do your next thing. Wow. We got a, we got a question up, uh, up here. In oh, the, and we got, oh, we got scissors in the back. Too. Those are real scissors. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Why do you need scissors? So this. Should I <laughs> move? You got a Where is the scanner you were talking about? Prismo? I went all over the place, couldn't find it. Prismo is in, uh, it's in what I love to call Shantytown over here, the little Mac, Indie Mac software spotlight. Okay. Uh, they're, they're over, it's over there. Yeah. Yeah. So. Go ahead. I don't trust you next to me with scissors, Dave. Okay. I don't like you with scissors near me. All right. H-squared. Here's something that I like. Uh, so a lot of people are very upset, uh, I think, disappointed that Apple is soon to drop the X-Serve, which was a nice 1U high server class machine. You know, just 1U is nice. There are other people that make it. But it's, I think it was, you know, typical of an Apple, you know, the quality of an Apple hardware product and the pricing as well. Oh, you're opening something. Okay. But I saw something, uh, I think it was in the Dr. Bot area, H-squared. They have something called the mini rack, and what this will you will let you do. Uh, I don't think the pricing is definite right now. Maybe four to five hundred dollars, but it will not let you store, uh, and it's going to be five U high. But you can store in it not one, not two, but eighteen Mac Minis, and they allow you to to route the cables, and you can because the new Mac Minis now have the screw off top. So this could be a nice solution for people that miss the X-Serve but still want to put a lot of computers in a, in a rack mount enclosure. So I, I thought that was interesting. And just 18 in a 5U high enclosure. Uh, again, four to 500 bucks. I, I think for each six-unit uh, insert. So it's three six-unit inserts. And I think each one of those are going to be four or 500 bucks. But that's uh, H squared. So I started playing guitar... Uh, I've been playing the drums and keyboards for a long time, but I started playing guitar about two years ago, and I'm not very good, uh, but I'm good for me because I like it. But uh, one of the things I do is I download 
you know, tab or, or uh, song charts or whatever, or lyrics or something. And I like to have that while I'm playing guitar. And I can do it on my iPad or my iPhone, and, and it works fine. But what the and, – and a couple of people have products like this, but there's, there's one thing that differentiates this, and I'm going to show you from everybody else's. So the idea is what this does is this clips onto the headstock of your guitar. So, John, you stretch your arm out. Okay, turn it. Put your hand. Grasp. Perfect. And, uh, and then this – fits on top of it. Uh, i got to pull it off to do it. But this sits on top, and now you, you've got this little ball, and you can angle your iPhone any way you want because it fits inside here. But here's where this is different from every other thing because, see, I told you before I don't like to take the case off my iPod be, or my uh, iPhone because I throw it all over the place all the time. Watch this. So for those of you at home that are listening audio only, it has a spring load in it, and it just grips the thing, and it holds it just fine. Fits with the case. Really, really smart. They're coming up, they've, they're coming up with an iPad stand that's similar to this. And again, the spring load. So if you keep your iPad in a case, and everybody has to keep their iPad in a case. I, does it, is there anyone here that regularly uses their iPad but doesn't keep it in a case? Okay, so there's a, of, of the whatever, 50 of you, there's maybe, I don't know how many, 60 of you, there's three that don't. I, I find that most people feel they need a case for the iPad, especially not just to protect it, but to, to use it. Y you know, you, you need to have something you can prop it up, and you're doing that so often that you need a case on it. So it, it's frustrating that so many of these cool uh, accessories don't work with a case on your iPad, and, uh, and so these guys did it. So this is um, the Guitar Sidekick from Cast4, I guess, C-A-S-T-I-V, so it's Castiv or Cast4, I don't know which it is, C-A-S-T-I-V.com, and it's, uh, it's 30 bucks. so there you go, cool, uh, all right, another question, comment, anything, come on, you gotta help us here, it's the last, oh, we got, okay, thank you, thank you, thank you, you're not allowed to talk, Mr. Welch. I put an SSD in my uh, Mac, Mac Pro, yep. and it keeps on. It kept on uh, kernel error. I took it out, put it in a USB enclosure. It works fine. Bizarre. So you, so it, you said kernel panic? It yeah. would just lock up the system yeah. with the SSD in there, but in yeah. USB it's fine. Yeah. Man, what brand SSD was it? It was a Corsair uh, yeah. Force Force. Hey, did you call Corsair? Because no, there might be something wrong. You did? No, I didn't. Oh, call them. There might be something wrong with the controller on that, okay. on that drive. That's, that's bizarre. That, that, yeah, that, that would be my first gut. Kernel panic, certainly with a hard drive, I can't imagine it's software. Uh, it, that sounds like hardware to me. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right, cool. Any other questions while we've got uh, our favorite gentleman running around? We've got room right up here for you, please, sir. Can we have a big hand for him? He's, uh, he's, there he is. Hi there. Just wanted to ask if you have any recommendations for VoIP solutions to get rid of a landline. Any vendors or any several vendors or any vendors to avoid? Um, VoIP. So I've been, uh, you're talking about VoIP at home? Okay. The home office. Okay. So I've been, I've been using VoIP for a long time. I moved to Vonage. Let's see, I've been in New Hampshire six years. We were on Vonage two years before we moved. So I've been on Vonage seven years, and it works great. 
almost left him last year, and like two days before I was going to even call him to cancel, they called me and said, hey, we're going to cut your rate in half for a year. No contract. You know, just we're going to go ahead and do this. And it's because they're smart. You know, they, you know, law of averages says that if it, all these people are leaving, I'm leaving too. And uh, so I've kept it. But we also have VoIP from our cable company. And that, for us, is working fantastic as well. We've got two lines. So we've got the house line on, on the cable company because they called us right at the same time and gave it to us for free for a year, which reminds me that I've got to worry about that because they're going to jack up my bill in about a month and a half uh, without telling me, of course, because they already told me you know, a year ago. Uh, but you know, Vonage, Vonage and or, or your, I mean, for me, Vonage has worked out great. With any of these, especially if it's not coming from your ISP, uh, I've, we, we, we put a lot of people in the business, actually, uh, you know, here at, at, at the Mac Observer and also at Backbeat Media. Many of us moved over to Vonage because it was working so well for me. I was the guinea pig. Well, one of our guys lives in Brooklyn where Internet connections, even cable modems, are completely unreliable. Uh, for, and there's a lot of reasons for this, but the reality is it's just unreliable. It doesn't matter why. And because his Vonage, his VoIP connection is going over the internet, well, you know, it's the chain and the weak link and all that stuff. And if I was not as tired, I could have said that more eloquently. But, uh, but that, you know, so you, you, if you, you know if your internet connection is good, that'll let you decide whether or not you, you want to use VoIP. And Skype is a great test for that. If you use Skype a lot and it always works, then any other VoIP solution is going to work as, uh, as well. So, all right, we got we to, did that, is that, did that answer? Okay, we got to follow up or another question in the back here. You can talk to our, our friend over here because I can't hear you. Um, what do you think of Google Voice? What do I think of Google Voice? I think Google Voice is fantastic. Uh, I use it. I have my iPhone voicemail rerouted to Google Voice. So when I, when, if you call me and leave me a message on my iPhone, I get an email with the Google's transcription, which is often in a different language, uh, certainly one I don't understand. Uh, but you know you get to you get to kind of you start to phonetically like sound out well, these two words don't really work well together, um, but uh, you know uh, it, it's okay. And then of course you can play the message. And there's a Google Voice app for the iPhone, so you can you can play it through. And uh, and I I think it's great. It's it, it Google Voice is essentially a phone number that you can get. Uh, it, it is in its most basic form, a phone number that you can get, and people can call it and leave you messages. Or you can have it that when people call that number, it rings other phones of your choice. And it's fairly configurable, uh, not ultimately configurable, but it's fairly configurable. So you can say, call this phone if it's this person, that phone if it's that person. And, you know, it's pretty cool. Uh, If you need something more configurable than Google Voice, we've moved to phone.com for the the business. And it gives you one phone number and extensions, and it's distributed, and it's cheap. Uh, So that's fine. That's my answer. And John's telling me something here. Not you, but John Welch is saying, power backup with VoIP? Uh, th- these words don't mean anything to me. So the, the one thing with landlines, traditional landlines, is you can always have the $9 princess phone that pulls power from the phone lines. If you're going with VoIP, like, for example, I live in Florida. I, the idea of... I know. I know. Oh, you could have finished. Okay. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> So in my case, I have to plan that at least at some point every year, there's going to be a period where I might be without power for three to five days. If, if you know, like, the wet, like if you have tornadoes, snowstorms, if you know on a regular basis, you're... Attending Macworld 2011, the show floor will close in 15 minutes. 
But if you know you're going to be without power, say for a day or so here and there, you want to make sure battery backup, generator, what have you, yep. because without power, VoIP does not work. And you, you know, if if yep. you live in the right place, you, that's your connection to the outside world. You maybe don't want to have to drive in a snowstorm to get help. Yeah. So to that point, most of the VoIP solutions from cable companies or from your, you know, your ISP or whatever it is, have battery backed up. Uh, it's essentially a battery backed up cable modem so you can take your landline not cordless princess phone plug it directly into that and it's going to give you about eight hours of of access to the phone lines now that's assuming your cable lines haven't gone down it, you know whatever caused the power to go out if it if it's just a power outage that's one thing if it's a tree that knocked all your lines down you're toast but but that's that so i still have an analog landline because remember we were talking about single point of failure so I may eventually. Our cable company, too, does the thing, which I'm still concerned about. They have the triple play. I'm just concerned because they're offering it, yeah, for a year at a really nice price. And then, like Dave said, they're going to jack the price up to something. And then you've got to either threaten them or – and I don't want to deal with that quite yet. You want to you go? we gotta, we got time for, yeah, a couple more of these and a couple more of your questions and then – um, I'll mention done. this one. I'll get your feelings on it, Dave. But, but it struck me as something. I'm, not, I'm certainly not as into microphones as, as Dave is. But this caught my attention. Uh, and it's from Blue. And this is something fairly new that I just saw on the floor here. What struck me is unique. So it's the, and I don't have the pricing on it, but it's the Yeti Pro. Um, a lot of mics are either going to be a USB mic or a mic with an XLR connection. This happens to be a mic that has both. So I think that's kind of interesting in that it gives you the flexibility to go between the two worlds. Our setup with Dave, we're both using, as, as, some of you, as most of you know, the Heil PR40, which is an XLR analog connection going into a mixer and then all sorts of other stuff. But when you're on the road, maybe that's not for you, and you would rather have the convenience of just plugging a USB into your computer. So uh, they just, I think, announced that uh, fairly recently. So uh, that caught my attention. Again, I, I couldn't find pricing. I think they say it'll do 24-bit, 192 kilohertz quality through the USB, which I guess is pretty good. 349. 249. Okay. And, and I believe it's a condenser mic? It is a condenser mic, but it's got, it's got gain right on the microphone, so you can use it for broadcast-style stuff where you need to get right up on the mic and you don't want to get all the noise around you in a, in a scenario like this. Uh, so, yeah, it's a, it's a, yeah it'll, it'll be interesting to see how it actually works when it comes out. So, um, All right, we'll, we'll do this. So we've been sitting on the comfy chair here, and, uh, and this next thing is, is, uh, is pretty, pretty important for the comfy chair. So you've got your iPad... And, you know, your case, you can prop it up or whatever you're going to do. But, you know, if you're laying back, you want to chill out and, and read uh, or do something on your iPad, it's not really conducive to that. You know, the iPad's weighted kind of weird and all that. So uh, there's a uh, – from Rain Design, they have something called the iRest, which is this. It's a hinged little device. Now, it's not built to be used with a case on it, but it does work with my iPad case, and I like that. And so now you can use the iPad. It's totally chilled out, really comfortable to have it just sitting here. And, uh, you know, I could turn on a movie and take a nap if you want to wrap this thing up. <laughs> so this is the rain design. Okay. It's the iRest. Uh, I believe it's uh, 50 bucks, 49 and something. So, you know, take the change and give it to one of those dudes that has a funny sign out here on the street outside of the Moscone. But, uh, but yeah, it works well. It, you know, it would also work this way, not so much. Well, I guess, yeah, there it is with my case. And it's it totally adjustable. And it's just, a, just a, a rest. For those of you at home that are listening with audio, it's just a, 
kind of a, 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 a stand that, that's very comfortable. It's got cushy little little feet that just rest on your lap or, uh, or however you want to sit. And, uh, and you can watch whatever it is you want to want to watch. Or, or you can even type on it. I was typing on it over in their booth, and it works really, really well. You know, it's just, it just uh, kind of works. You tap right on it. And I, I typed without, without fail, so without, without any, uh, any problems. So that's my thing. Okay, another one I saw here. This was a, a kind of a mix of old and new, or it just caught my eye. It was towards the back here. Uh, iFusion, I think, is the name of the device or the company, or maybe both. And, and I thought it was kind of interesting because it looks like a traditional telephone. You can see a, a handset with an earpiece and something to talk into and buttons. And uh, they had a, a button for uh, Bluetooth. And so I guess you can connect Bluetooth devices to it. It had another button where I actually guessed it to be the mute button, which the guy was impressed for some reason. Uh, volume up, volume down. And, well, what do you put in it? Well, you put your iPhone in it. So what it does, I guess if you would rather not deal with the you know uncomfort of holding your iPhone... Which I'm going to be, yes, Verizon iPhone. I think there's one in my future. But if you don't want to be holding the, the, the phone, I, I think it's usually not a very comfortable experience. I typically use a headset anyways. But if you'd like, you know, the nice feel of a traditional telephone, uh, it lets you put your iPhone in there and get that. And that device, from what I could see, is 149 So you can see them as you're uh, walking out. Cool. Um, all right. So Dexim, which is somewhere... Right, right there. But it doesn't matter because it's going to close soon. Uh, as two two things that I'll 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 talk about together. One one is uh, an induction charger. Now, what that means is it's a device that lets you charge your your iPhone. In this case, it works with Blackberries and Androids and all that too, uh, without plugging it in. And no, this isn't microwaves or anything that they're going to blast you with. Uh, you just lay it on a little surface. Now, I've seen these induction chargers before, and the big problem is you need to put something on your iPhone uh, to allow this to happen. The iPhone can't do this on its own. So you put a case on, and, and then the case is what links up with this induction charger, and, and it charges. And most of these cases that I've seen from other companies aren't sexy at all. They're really clunky and... Uh, and I frankly hate them. But the Dexam one, I put it on my iPhone, and it, it didn't, in fact, it was thinner than my, and I've got this really thin spare battery, which I'll talk about next. But, uh, but yeah, so worked out really well. It was really comfortable to hold. Didn't add much, if anything, to the, to the iPhone, and, and yet it, uh, it did this induction charging. And that's, a, that's called the uh, Slim Case, uh, for good reason, and induction charger, and it's 79 bucks available in March. Uh, so that's uh, that's that from Dexon. I, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Go ahead. All right. Uh, I have a few things. I saw the Kensington booth that uh, caught my eye. Uh, one I can't use quite yet, but it, it is for the uh, iPhone called a PowerGuard. It is not only a battery and a case, but a stand. So three devices in one. That's uh, $40. So that caught my eye. They had another one. Again, they, they like to combine a bunch of different things here in a really nice way, I think, called a PowerLift. And this is a battery a dock and a stand. Uh, I think it may be for iPhone and other iDevices. That's uh, $50. And then something similar to what Dave was showing uh, called Keyfolio. It's both a case and a keyboard. Uh, I note the trend here that it seems a lot of people on iPads want to have a keyboard as well. So I think it's pretty similar to what Dave was, was talking about. This is Keyfolio from Kensington, and it's $99. One last thing I'll, I'll mention here, and then... And then uh well, actually, you know what? Does anybody have a question before we do that? Last question or two before we, uh, before we head into wrap-up? Somebody's got to have something. 
There it is. A hand went in the air back here. You're first. And then, and then we'll come over here. Oh. Hey, guys. I'm the uh, option key guy from a couple of years back. Yeah. So um, I'm the tech support for this lady here to my right sometimes. And uh, we, we, we had trouble hooking up a time capsule to her, can I say it, Earthlink internet connection. <laughs> uh, have you guys had any um, people call in with troubles with time capsule on certain providers? Because uh, it, it was the um, PPPoE problem. Right. So she, it's an ADSL connection. It's not a cable modem connection. And with ADSL, you need to log in with PPPoE. I, I know, I, I remember hearing about this specifically with Earthlink, and I remember hearing, reading somewhere that there was a fix. I don't, obviously don't have a computer in front of me to, to, to link to, uh, even for the show notes, we can't do that. But, uh, but yeah, that's, there, there is, there, did you try Googling for it? Because there, 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 there was a fix. Okay, I, for some reason, I thought the most recent or one of the time machine software update, one of the sorry time capsule software updates solved that. Uh, so, but it may have been broken in a in a in a future one. I don't know. When was that? Wasn't that certainly in the last six months? Yeah, three months ago. Well, it might have an old firmware on it. I don't know. I, yeah, I, I remember reading something about that, and and there was also something with you, maybe using a percent sign in the login. I, I, this is deep in the memory banks, and it's not bubbling to the surface. So yeah, we we did talk about that recently. Uh, you, you you may not have the latest firmware if if your uh, time capsule is not set up to automatically look for the firmware updates. There could be older firmware, or I think there's also an explicit selection in the airport utility where you can. Uh, make sure that it's checking or pull down the latest firmware. So, so double check that. Cool. And I think we had a, a question over here. Yep. This gentleman on the aisle. Not really a question, Dave. Just wanted to say I enjoyed your playing the other night. Keep kicking with the drums. <laughs> I didn't even have to plant you in the crowd. Thank you very much. Of course, he's referring to our uh, on Thursday night, we did our Cirque de Mac party, which We've done for the last eight Macworld Expos, and, uh, and I do. I play the drums in the, in the Macworld All-Star Band. We have a lot of fun, so, uh, so thank you. I, I appreciate you saying that. That's, yeah. John, you had something to add? Oh, no, I think we were getting a... Oh, we getting the high sign for time? Okay. One, one more question? One minute. One minute. Oh, how do you <laughs> reach minute. us? Okay, yeah, go. We can do that real quick. Okay, yeah. one way is you can call us, and the way you can call us is on the telephone at 206-666-GEEK. Four three three five, and you can also email email us at feedback at macgeekab dot com. Uh, that's that's uh, John. You got that wrong. That's feedback at macgeekab dot com. Uh, you can Skype us at macgeekab. Uh, also, we are on Twitter. Macgeekab is at macgeekab. I am John F. Braun. Dave Hamilton is Dave Hamilton. Pilot Pete is Pilot Pete, and Mac Observer is Mac Observer. Couldn't be easier. I think I think that's. Uh I think that's it. I thought I had our, uh, our little outro on here. I was going to be really slick about it, but, uh, but it's not. So we'll play the intro again. Thanks, everyone. Don't get caught. <laughs> we won't get caught.